Uh, I got to miss preaching one of my favorite sections in all of Scripture, and it's John chapter 13, and that's Jesus washing his disciples' feet. I, I, I looked ahead and tried to figure out how I could still preach this section and maybe tell Matt just to preach some, something else, but I was like, you know what? I'll be able to preach John 13 some other time. Um, but, I, you know, I, I still think this is one of the greatest sections. Just to see the resurrected, sa- uh, the pre-resurrected Savior. <laughs> he's not resurrected yet. He's not been crucified yet. He's on his way. But to see the king of the, of the universe, God in the flesh, to put on a, a servant's apron and to bow down and to wash his disciples' feet. And, you know, they, they would argue amongst themselves about who's going to be the greatest and who's going to be the greatest leader and who's going to sit on the right hand of Jesus on his, on his left hand when he was going to be in his kingdom. And, and his disciples had an only an earthly view of him. And so they didn't comprehend what it really meant to be a leader. And Jesus in front of them demonstrated what it really meant to be a leader. And the greatest leaders on, 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 in this life are those that are servant leaders, that, that, that lead by serving. And what's interesting in this story, as we segue to this next section, you get one of the greatest examples of a godly leader contrasted in this section with one of the greatest cowards and, and betrayers in human history. And what's amazing is, is that Judas Iscariot was one of the 12 that had his feet washed by Jesus in John 13. And the text we're going to look at that same one that was, had his feet washed by Jesus, he had it in his heart to betray him. He had previously gone and worked a deal with the Sanhedrin, worked a deal for 30 pieces of silver to betray the Son of God. And so as before we get into this section, I just have to say that this account of Judas' betrayal is one of the most tragic stories in all of Scripture. In fact, one of the most tragic stories in human history. Like, to be... The man in history that is known as the one who betrayed the Son of God. Like we know in history now that Jesus is God. Because he, he was, he's been raised. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. It's, it's, it's a historical fact that he's been raised. There were 500 witnesses to, to see that. And to be the man in history to be known as the one that betrayed the risen Son of God. You know, to, to this day, you don't name your son Judas, do you? Has anybody ever known a, a, a person named, a man named Judas? I mean, you, you don't want to curse your child like that, right? Who would ever name their child Judas? And that, that, that's the infamy that the name Judas lives under. And this is one of the greatest, greatest betrayals ever. It's, it's, it's tragic, it's sad, and we're going to get into some of the, the details. But when you think about it, Judas left all that he had. To follow Jesus like the other 11. He left. He left. He followed. He witnessed all of the miracles. He saw Jesus talk and he saw the truth in his words. He heard the truth in his words and he saw the truth in his eyes. He was with him for three and a half years. And yet he still betrayed the innocent son of God. And so we're going, to look at, we're going to look at this story. It's a really unique section here, but we're going to backtrack just a little bit. I believe that Matt went up to verse 20 or verse 19 or 20. And so we're going to backtrack to 18 and we're going to read the section and then we're going to, we're going to see what we can learn from this tragic account of Judas and his betrayal of Jesus. So let's read John 13, 18 through 30. So this is right after Jesus has washed the, the disciples' feet, including that of Judas. 
he says this, I am not speaking of all of you. So now he's about to say, I'm not talking about everyone in this room. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And he's speaking of Judas right here. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this, listen to this, I am telling you this now before it takes place. I'm telling you this now about Judas before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he, that I am the Messiah, that I am who I have claimed to be. It's interesting. We're going to go back and explain what Jesus is saying there. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another. You can imagine. Can you just picture in the room, they've had supper. Jesus has just totally blown them away by this act of service to them by washing their feet. And it says he's troubled in his spirit and he starts talking crazy talk. He starts talking like, you know, you're going to, you know, not all of you. This is not what I'm about to say. It's not all for you. And I, I know who I've chosen. And you're going to understand later these this mysterious things I'm saying. And then he says, oh, by the way, one of you is going to betray me. Like, can you imagine? I can just imagine sitting and, li- and you just kind of start looking. Like, you know, and, and this is, this wasn't like the Last Supper where they depicted where there's this long table and everyone's kind of at a regular table. They, they, in that culture, in that custom, they would have been seated on the ground, kind of lounged out on the ground uh, feet kind of behind them, you know, just kind of sit, sitting sideways and they would have been leaning over and talking and fellowshipping and, and, and so can you imagine just that, that, that closeness and Jesus says, one of you will betray me. So you can imagine the looks between the disciples at one another. Who is it? Who's the guy? And that's what it says here. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, I love this picture, John, this is John referencing himself. He, he liked to say this about himself. He says, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, John wanted us to know that Jesus loved him, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. This is so neat to picture this. So Jesus is sitting, kind of laid out there. John is next to him, closer to Jesus. And it says, So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So let's just picture it here. You got got Jesus sitting and you got John next to him. Let's just say Peter's across over here. So I'm going to act like Peter. Peter's like, like, ask him, ask him. Figure this out. You know, like, like that's what's being described here. He like, he, he motioned. Talk to the guy. Like, we need to figure this out so we can take him out. Right? That's Peter. What, do, do you remember what Peter did? When, when Jesus was arrested, he, pour, he pulled out his sword. Peter's like, ask the brother. Ask Jesus who it is that's going to betray him because I'm going to take him out. Right? G- Peter wants to know. Peter wants to know. I just, I just, it's, that's real life. I just love how it's real life. And, and I can, I, I can, when I read it this afternoon, I was like, I could picture it. could see the scene. And Peter's like, figure it out, John. You're the one close, close to him. He's, you say he loves you. And you're laying your head against his chest all, all the time. Get some insight for us here, brother. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. 
So that disciple, John, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. Interesting. So a very visible act here, right? So they would have really been able to see right away who it is that he did this to. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas. So you would think, okay, ding, 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 ding. Arrow on top of Judas's head. We've got to figure it out. Here's the betrayer. And, and at that point in the narrative, you would think, disciples stand up, grab Judas by the back of the neck, and drag him out of the house and say, you be gone from here. That's what I would do. You're going to betray this one that's the miracle worker? You're going to betray the one that speaks these words of life? You're, you're going to betray the one that we have left all to follow? No way, buddy. You're getting out of here. But that's not what happens. It's interesting. And after he had taken, so, so he, he gave the morsel, he dipped it, gave the morsel to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him, entered Judas. Jesus said to him, what, it, what you are going to do, do quickly. Judas, go. It's in your heart. Go ahead and do what you came to do. Do what you are here to do. Now, no one, listen to this, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and, was, and it was night. Last phrase, and it was night. It's interesting. Why, isn't that, why was there not a reaction from the, uh, the other disciples? I believe because they were blinded to see. It wasn't time yet. For them to, to recognize and see and understand. What's interesting is, is that their reaction was, was that, well, Judas, he's the keeper of the money bag. And we, we've heard in other sections that Judas would steal from the money bag. He was a thief, right? And so they just thought, well, it, it's maybe something he's going to, he, he's got to buy food for the feast of Passover. So Jesus is sending him out. The Passover feast is coming soon. Or, or maybe, do you, do you remember whenever the alabaster, a fragrant, Fragrant ointment was broken over Jesus and his, his feet were washed and, 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 and Judas was the one who said that that could have been sold and given to the poor. So they're thinking he complained about that. So maybe, maybe this is, maybe the, Jesus has given Judas his chance to go give some money to the poor. And that was their two explanations, but they didn't understand it. And there's reason behind why they didn't understand it. So let's unpack this text. This is just such a, it's stunning, it's profound, it's, it doesn't make sense to us because we feel like that, that, that we would never be like Judas. We feel like that we would never betray Jesus. We feel like because if we had all of the evidence that Judas had, we would never. But what's interesting is, is that not only did Judas betray him, but all the disciples left him. There's a difference though between Judas and all the other disciples that left. Judas, Judas did not believe Judas, Judas never believed in Jesus, and we're going to see that, but, but we overestimate our spiritual level, and we believe that we're different than they would have been, but that's interesting, because we, given enough opportunities, given enough time, and, and given not having God's grace in our life, we would be just like, just like Judas, just like any of, the other, any of the other disciples. So let's see what we can learn here. First thing I see is this. We sometimes, sometimes purpose hides under the surface. Sometimes 
purpose hides under the surface. So what am I talking about here? Purpose hiding under the surface. It would seem to be that the betrayal of Jesus from Judas is just purposeless, right? How meaningless is this? How purposeless is this? Jesus Jesus is being denied. He's being sold for 30 pieces of silver. It's just purposeless. It's just it's just pain. It's just rejection. It's just, it's, it's the worst thing that could ever happen to anybody to, to be a betrayer of the Son of God. It doesn't seem to be any purpose there. But sometimes the purpose hides under the surface. Let's go back to the text, John 13, 18 and 19. It says this, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. The scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place. Listen, Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm telling you this right now about the person that's lifting his heel up against me. I'm telling you this right now about the one that I'm saying is going to betray me. I'm telling you this right now so that when it takes place, you may believe that I am he. There is a greater purpose in all of that. And this is what I want us to understand. I think this is what we learn in in the story of Judas. It's not just this terrible story about somebody who rejects the innocent son of God. There's purpose in everything that takes place. God is at work. And what what happens is, is that later on, what Jesus is saying here is that when you look back, after I'm resurrected, after you start connecting the dots, after you begin to to realize the Holy Spirit's going to come in and dwell you as disciples and, and he's going to remind you of all the things that I taught you. And you're going to look back and you're going to remember the Last Supper. You're going to remember the dinner. You're going to remember me washing your feet. You're going to remember me dipping the morsel. You're going to remember me handing it to Judas and saying these crazy statements and you're going to go, wow, he truly was the Son of God. He predicted that this would happen and it happened. And so there's, there, I want us to understand that even in situations that look like nothing could, good can come of that, God is still at work. God is still at work in pain, in suffering, in challenges. Even, even when you make mistakes and even when you sin, God can take those situations and can turn them around for your good and for your growth if you are in him and you're surrendered to him. Sometimes the, the the purpose is under the surface and we can't see. You guys ever struggle with that? Sometimes I, I, I think of situations like this afternoon when, 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 when Brother Bill bought, brought the prayer request for, for Julian for the thyroid cancer. It's just, it's hard to see the purpose under the surface. It's hard to see the good. This is pain, an 18-year-old with cancer. And I don't have all the answers. And I looked at Brother Bill this afternoon and I said, I don't have an answer. And because he's, 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 why? 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 And I don't, I don't have an answer for why. I don't know. Other than that as humans, we're decaying. And we're dying. Our body's breaking down. We're under the curse of sin. I don't know why. Could God have stopped cancer? Yes, he could. Could God heal? Yes, he can. He can do all of those things. But there are times where we don't have answers to why someone's not healed. You know, I... I, I remember one time, I remember one time having a conversation with somebody, and we were, they were praying for somebody to be healed of cancer, and the person wasn't healed, and I know that the person was a believer that had cancer, and so this person I'm talking to, not the person that had cancer, that eventually died, 
with the person that was still alive, they said, there must have been something that that person didn't do. There must have been. Maybe they missed something. Maybe their faith wasn't where it needed to be. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And I just said, no, no, that's not it. That's not true. Because if that's the case, then that means that means we have control over all of those things. And we don't. God is God and we are not. So I don't have all the answers, but I do know that there will be good that comes out of the Laracy family's problems. There will be. And it may not be like I said on, on Sunday where, where Paul is praying that we would understand that we can have far more abundantly that he has available to us far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. Sometimes our definition of far more abundantly is different than God's definition. And we need God to correct our vision. So under the surface, there's purposes that are there. We have to ask God to give us the mind of Christ to, to begin to see. And so, so what, what are some of the purposes that were under the surface of this terrible betrayal, of this sin, this rejection that ended in Judas committing suicide and going to hell. What, what were the purposes under the surface? The first one is this. It's the purpose of redemption. The purpose of redemption. Think through this with me. Your redemption, your redemption, my redemption came through the betrayal of Jesus Christ. He had to be betrayed. He had to be arrested. He had to be abused and taken advantage of and beaten and crucified because redemption was going to be provided because God so loved the world that he gave Jesus Christ. So, so how does that all work out? I don't know. If it was up to me, I, that wouldn't have been my plan. But God's greater than me. He sees different than me. And even in the midst of that betrayal, the purpose of redemption was fulfilled. Secondly, Another purpose in this terrible betrayal is the affirming to his disciples that his words are true. It's affirming. He was able to, and that's what it said at the, at the, at, at the beginning of that text that we were reading. Jesus said, you're going to know one day, you're going to look back, and so that you will believe that I am he, these things are going to take place. And so that's another purpose that was fulfilled. It affirmed to his disciples when the Holy Spirit indwelt them after Pentecost and began to remind them of all the teachings of Jesus. It reminded them that the words of God, words of Christ are true. Thirdly, it was the, the, the purpose, another purpose is that it was revealing to the disciples then and now that faith in Christ is centered on your heart. Centered on your heart. Judas had all the outward markings of a disciple, right? He left. He left all to follow Jesus. He was his disciple. And think about, think about, if you're the one that's over the money, you're the one that's over the money, carries the money back for the caravan that Jesus had. If you're the one over the money, you must be what? Trustworthy. Or at least perceived as trustworthy. Somehow he developed a reputation of being trustworthy, Right? Clyde Noel is the administrative pastor at Living Word Church. And he looks at the, the money every day. God bless him. Because I think my brain would pop if I'd look at nickels and dimes and fitting this and this budget and moving this around. But he does it. He, God's given him the grace to do it. But it's because he's proven himself trustworthy. And God raised him up for that role. So somehow, I mean, just think about it logically. Judas was given the money bag because 
he had a reputation of being trustworthy. So, so he had that outward look of somebody that would be a disciple. But another truth that came out of it, something else that was, that was revealed, another purpose was to show his disciples then and now that Christianity is not based upon what you look like on the outside. It's the condition of your heart. God looks differently than man looks. He looks at the heart. A a fourth thing that I thought about was this, is that another purpose of this tragic story is that it teaches, it's teaching to the disciples then and now that the love of money corrupts the heart. The love of money corrupts the heart. Do you believe that? Money doesn't corrupt the heart, but the love of money. Judas would steal from the money bag. And he loved money so much, he was willing to betray the innocent son of God for 30 pieces of silver. The love of money corrupts the heart. And last thing I want to mention here, another purpose we see is that it's demonstrating the sobering impact of turning your back on the light of the world. You look at the end of his life and we'll see this as we conclude this this message. It's so sobering and it reminds us of the sobering impact that can ultimately happen in your in your life and someone's life that you know if they ultimately reject Jesus forever. The sobering impact. There, when you turn your back on the light, all you have is darkness. God is in control. Even the betrayal of Judas cannot thwart God's plans. I just want to read this. John 13, 2 through 4 says this. Going back earlier, says this, that during supper when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knowing. So you, you see the motivation and the, and the plan of Satan, right, at work there. Judas had given himself over to Satan, given himself over to his evil desires. And so Satan put a desire in his heart to betray Jesus. So you see the work of the devil there, right? Listen to, listen to the contrast. Jesus, knowing that the Father had done what? Had given all things into whose hands? You got the devil here. I'm going I'm, I'm to get you, Jesus. I'm going to put something in this guy's heart and he's going to betray you. And Jesus sits back and he knows the heart of man. He knows all things. He's thinking, the Father's given me all authority, all control, everything's in my hands. And that he had come from God and he was going back to God. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. Listen, at that moment, because Jesus is God, he would have known the thoughts of Judas and and the evil thought from Satan that would have entered his heart so according to the flesh maybe Jesus should have grabbed Judas and kicked him out but what did Jesus do this is so good I love this he thought to himself I know the father's given me all control everything's in my hands I'm going to put on an apron instead of a sword I'm going to put on an apron instead of a sword isn't that beautiful that's beautiful you know you've you've ever heard the phrase don't show up to a gunfight carrying a knife you ever heard that phrase? Yeah. Miss Mel's never heard that phrase. Anybody else heard that phrase? Don't show up to gunfight carrying a knife. If it's a gunfight, you better have, have a gun, not a knife. You know what happened in, in this section right here in John 13? Satan entered the heart of Judas because Judas had opened his heart to Satan. Judas had opened his heart to Satan, so Satan said, okay, I'm coming on in. I'm going to use you for my plan. So Satan, Satan stepped up and said, all right, Jesus, here I come. And you know what Satan didn't realize? That Satan showed up for a nuclear war with a spoon. <laughs> That's what he did. Because he was messing with 
with God in the flesh. He was messing with eternal God. And he was always going to be defeated. Amen? So, so purpose lies, lies under the surface. We look at this story. It looks totally tragic, out of control. How could this happen? Most horrible story in the Bible. Somebody betraying the innocent son of God for money. But I just want to encourage you that in your life, you need to look under the surface. Look under the surface of the negative things in your life, the pain, the suffering, the trials you're going through. Look under the surface. There's purpose that's there. You may not see it yet, but it's there, and God wants to teach you. God, in, in, in everything that you go through, God wants to bring you closer to him, to mature you in your faith so you can become more like Christ. Amen? Second thing we learn is this, is that not everyone, we've talked about this, not everyone who professes Christ belongs to him. Not everyone who professes Christ belongs to him. John 13, 26 to 27, back in the text, Jesus answered, It is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So he, when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas. And he said, Judas, whatever you're going to do, do quickly. Satan entered Judas and Jesus looked at him. Go ahead, do what you want to do, do, but do it quickly. And so... I just want to say to reaffirm and show in scripture that scripture overwhelmingly tells us that not everyone who says they're a believer is a believer. We, we, we see this in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, one of the most sobering texts in all of scripture. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, on that day, the day of accounting before God, on that day when man stands to give account for their life, many, and that word many is translated out to mean majority or most. Many means majority or most. On that day, many, the majority, most, will say to me, Lord, 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 Lord. That means I am declaring that you are Lord. I'm, say, I'm speaking to you in terms like you are my Lord. I'm surrendered, you're my master, Many, most will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? You know, Judas is in that number right there. When he was sent out with the disciples, when Jesus sent out the disciples to do miracles, Judas was in that number. Judas will look and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do miracles in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? And there will be others like Judas who appeared on the outside to be followers of Jesus. And this is the most stunning, most uh, sobering, I, I don't know what other adjective to use for it, but, but just it should, it should humble us when we, when, we, when we read this. And give us a sense of the fear of the Lord in our heart when we read something like this. To think that you would stand, that anyone would stand on the judgment day and look at the Lord Jesus Christ, and say, I did all of these things in your name. I, I, I carried your name. I spoke your name. I did miracles in your name. Demons were cast out when I used your name. And I did mighty works in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's very scary, very sobering. And, and so this is the reality that I, that I know is true. This is what you see in Scripture when you go through into the book of Revelation, you see there will be a time when there will be a separation between the, the, the sheep and the goats, those that are true believers in Jesus Christ and those that are not. 
and I believe and I know it's true, even of our church and in any church that is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is always a mixed crowd. There is always a mixed crowd. There are people who come to church, to to, to Bible-believing churches, and they come for all kind of reasons. There are some like you who come, and you come because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in a relationship with him, and you're coming to worship him and to exalt him. You're coming to hear his word taught because you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you love him. But then there's some that come, and we know it's true because it's in Scripture, they come for the wrong reasons. They come because it's a social gathering. They come because maybe, maybe if I hang around some Christians and may, may, maybe I can make connections and my business will increase. Can hand out my card occasionally and can get some business. Or maybe I'm coming because my mom went to church and my dad went to church and my grandparents went to that church and so I'm going to go to that church because it's what I inherited. I inherited a belief in attending this church but there's no real relationship. Maybe they're coming for even reasons that are, that are worse than that. Maybe they're coming because, because they're looking for someone of, of the opposite sex to get married to and they're coming to scope out the field because they figured, well, I've, I've looked in the bars and you know, I've even heard this. I've heard it. I've heard actually people say this. I've looked in the bars and the nightclubs and the, the crop that's over there is not very good so maybe I need to go look at church. People come for all kinds of reasons. And you know what is so sad is that one day, those people, if they've never confessed Jesus as Lord, they will stand before the Lord and they'll say, Lord, Lord, I thought I was good. I thought I was okay. I went to church. I, I, even, I even gave some money. I, I even gave some money. I even paid tithe, gave money. I gave to the poor. I wasn't that bad. And this is, this is what separates Christianity from all other world religions is that our gospel is exclusive. The gospel of Jesus Christ is an exclusive gospel. It's a gospel that says there is only one way of salvation, and it's through one name, through Jesus Christ. And it's not just a confession of that name, it's, it's an attesting to the tenets of the faith, that Jesus was the Son of God, that he lived a real human life, fully God, fully man, that he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose on the third day, and he's returning in the future for us, for, our, for us as Christians. It's, it's not just a generic understanding. It's, a, it's, a, it's, 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 it's understanding what the truth of the gospel is. That's what separates us. And, that, and that's what this makes this scripture a challenging one. Because the reality is, is God's word is true. And that, that day will happen. And I pray, I pray, I pray that, that that doesn't happen for any of us. I pray that those that come on Sundays, it happens for none of them. But I know the reality is, is, that it, that, is that it will. And that should cause us to pray. It should cause us to pray, cause us to check our heart. So how, how is it that someone is saved? Matthew 13 tells us. This is the parable of the sower. I, I know that's some heavy stuff. I know. Take a deep breath. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. But it's, but it's true. It's true. It's true nonetheless. Matthew 13 says this. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is somebody who is not a believer. They didn't understand it. They come and the seed was taken. Then what is sown along the path, as for it was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it, so that looks pretty good, with joy, yet there is no root in himself, 
only endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. It proved out in their life that it was not a genuine conversion. They didn't genuinely believe in Jesus Christ. It was a joyful news, right? But they didn't, it didn't take root in their life. It didn't take root in their life. They fell away. As for it was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, here is what salvation looks like. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the soil that's been prepared. This is the one the Holy Spirit's been working on. This is the one who hears the word. You can never get saved until you hear it, right? Got to hear the gospel. They hear the word and then what? Understand it. If you don't understand the gospel, if you don't understand what you're believing in, then you can't be saved. You have to understand who God is in his holiness and who you are in your sinfulness. You have to understand. You hear, you understand, and then here's this. He indeed bears fruit. You hear, you understand, you respond, and then what happens? Your life has changed. Your life has changed. Your life has changed. You bear fruit. And it yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. This understanding, because of what I'm reading there in Matthew 7 and in Matthew 13, this understanding is why it is so important for us to have more clarity in our message and not less clarity. We need more clarity. You know, there is a push in the body of Christ in a lot of churches, a lot of, a lot of larger churches, to dumb down the message. To remove scripture. Preach less scripture because the unsaved don't want to hear the scripture. Well, of course the unsaved don't want to hear the scripture because they're not saved. Sheep want sheep food, right? So when the sheep come on Sunday, what do we give the sheep? We give them sheep food because that's what sheep need. They need the Bible. But the unbeliever never wants to hear the Bible taught because They're unredeemed. It's foolishness to them. And so we need more clarity, not less clarity. We need clarity in our message, clarity in the gospel. We need to draw lines so people can see. Because if this is true, if Matthew 7 is true, and there is a real heaven and a real hell, we need clarity. We don't need ambiguity. We don't need to pander to people. And to, to, to make them feel good in their emotions. And we need to speak the truth. We need to speak the truth because this is life and death. This is real life. Judas had all the truth. And he rejected it. He rejected with knowledge. And so we need to preach all the truth. And if somebody rejects, they can't come to us and say, well, you didn't tell us. No, we, we're going to tell you. Because we believe that God's word is true. Amen? Amen. I know I'm preaching, I'm preaching, preaching strong on a Wednesday night, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't know I was going to say all this stuff, but um, we need more clarity, not less clarity. I'm almost done. Third thing we learn here as we conclude is that if you reject the light, only darkness remains. Forgot to tell you the title of this message tonight. title of this message is the last part of this verse that we were reading and it was night and it was night if you reject the light only darkness remains let's go back to the text there john 13 8, 28 through 30 now no one at the table knew why he said this to him some thought that 
because Judas had the money bag. Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. This is so stunning. (laughs) He immediately went out, and then you have this, just this phrase, and it was night. So, what does that mean? It means it was night. (laughs) It means that there was, the sun had set, the moon was, was out, and it was night. But it also is a stark contrast right there. Think about this. You have the the son of God sitting right there in the room with the disciples who in John 8 declared himself to be what? I am the light of the world. You have the light of the world in that room with the disciples. And you have Judas sitting there and, and he had opened himself up to Satan. So Satan was willing to use him as an instrument and entered his heart and he got up at the word of Jesus to go up and do quickly what was in his heart to do. And he walked away from the light of the world. And there is only darkness after you walk away from the light of the world. And it was night. You walk away from truth, there's only darkness. You walk away from what you know is right, there's only darkness. You walk away from what God has told you to do and, and you walk and you disobey, it's night. It's dark. There's, there, you, you can't see the path in front of you when you walk away from the light. But think about the stark contrast there. The light of the world in the room and you turn your back on the light of the world. Clearly, and it was night. Clearly, there's no light when you walk away from the light of the world. The light of the world. John eight twelve. I referenced it a second ago. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Will have the light of life. Whoever follows me, whoever doesn't turn their back on me, will have the light of life. They will not stumble in darkness. You know what it's like to be in the dark? You ever walked in the dark in your house? Even though you know your house. Some of you, you know your house very well, and you can kind of maybe get around in the dark. But if it is really dark, let's say I remember one night a couple of times, or one in particular, it's cold outside, it's the winter time, and I think some, elect- this was this last winter, I think some, uh, uh, some big electrical systems uh, went out on, on our side of town and everything went out. And it was dark. And it was one in the morning. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on. My cell phone is dead. You know, we rely on the light of our cell phone so much, right? You get up, that's the first thing you go to grab so you can see. It's your light. But it's just thick darkness. Even if you know your way around, when you're in the dark, you just stumble. And that's, that's what it's like to not be in relationship with Jesus. Is you're just stumbling around in the dark. You're trying to find your own way and you're trying to do it without the light. And honestly, that's what it's like as believers when we don't obey the Lord. We're just stumbling in the dark. And God's up there saying, hey, Hey, I'm a light, I'm a lamp into your feet, a light into your path. This is, this is where the light is. I've told you to go here. I've told you to do this, to obey here. And you're trying to do it on your own. Just follow the light. I've put the light right here. It's, it's clear over here. And you're stumbling over here trying to do your own things. I just want to encourage you. If you're stumbling, trying to do your own thing, the light's over there. The light's over there. Don't turn your back on the light. Follow the light God has given you. And what's the light God's given us? It's right here. Follow the light. Follow his word. Follow his word. Some of you think, well, God hasn't told me what to do. I wish you would tell me what to do. And then I would follow the light. He has told you. He's told you. It's right here. It's in his word. 
Obey his word. And you won't stumble. 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. In the original language, that phrase, no darkness at all, when it says no, that word no, is saying that there's no darkness at all in God. It's in the original languages in the Greek, it's, it's, it's like it's used three times. It's like a, 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 a multiple times. It would say no, no darkness, no darkness at all. That's how it would read in the Greek. No, no darkness, no darkness at all. And the idea there is that it is infinitely, that what is being said there, that is, that, that is infinitely true. That, that forever there is no darkness in God. That God is perfectly light and it is impossible for him to have darkness. God is light, and in him there is no darkness, no, no darkness at all. If we say, Lord, Lord, we have fellowship with him. If we say, Lord, Lord, I did all these things while we walk in darkness, while, while we live a pattern, a lifestyle of sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, if, they, if there is fruit in our life of righteousness, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen? So, that's what we learn from the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. So Judas' story is not for waste. Judas' story is not for waste. And what you go through in your life, the pain, the suffering, the trials, and even your disobedience is not for waste. You need to allow the Lord to help you to see under the surface the purpose that God's at work doing in your life. Just want to end with this, though. The most tragic ending to anyone's life, the most tragic ending to anyone's life is not the way in which they die. That's not the most tragic way that someone's life ends. But whether or not they die in faith or in darkness, that's what makes it tragic. Because you could have somebody that's a believer and they die tragically and they die early, they die young. But if they're in the faith... They're believer in Jesus Christ and they're not in the darkness. They're in heaven. They're home. They're with the Lord. But if you live, if you live a long, healthy life and you live to be 98 years old and you had money, you had so much money you didn't even know what to do with it, you just gave it all away and when you died you still had millions of dollars to give to your ancestors and you were successful and people respected you, but you died in the darkness? It's tragic. It's tragic. So... I want to challenge you as, as believers, as Wednesday night Christians. I want to challenge you. Think about those that you know that would fall into that category that we described. And let's pray for them. Let's pray that those that are self-deceived, that they would come not just to hear the gospel, but to understand it. So that that understanding can transform their heart and impact the way that they live. Amen? Amen. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that in you, that in Christ, that even the, the most seemingly pointless, terrible situations that we face. Lord, there are, there are purposes under the surface that you are at work in our life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see those things. Lord, you are in control. The devil doesn't win. The devil does not win. The devil does not win. Lord, you are victorious. You're victorious. You have the final word. You have the final say because you're in control. I pray that you would, you would remind us of that, Lord, and we do pray for all those that, 
that don't know you, those that we know that are in our life that maybe are self-deceived and they believe that they're okay, but they're not. Lord, Lord, touch them. Lord, open their eyes to see their need for you. Open their eyes to see their need for you, Lord, and use us to be your, your spokesman. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.